Lord be with you. I'm excited that we're continuing in our series about seeing the world the way Jesus sees and living our lives the way Jesus wants us to live and following wherever Jesus leads us. To help us with that, we're going to look at a scripture passage from Matthew chapter 4. So I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles out and turn there with me to read along. Matthew is in the New Testament, the first gospel, Matthew chapter 4. It's really great if you can bring your own Bible and read that and follow along or uh, use your phone or your iPad or some device or there's Bibles in the chairs if you need one. But I think it's, it's most helpful if you can follow along in your own Bible. So look it up in Matthew 4, starting with verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I read a little essay this week from a CBS News contributor whose name is Faith Sally, and basically she asked this question, what is one male activity that has baffled women throughout all time? And as I read that, yeah, I thought the same thing. Only one? Um, Turn to your neighbor and discuss what do you think are the most baffling male activities uh, that that baffle women throughout all time. Go ahead. Talk about that for a second. If someone's by themselves, share your wisdom with them. Most baffling male activity. Okay, that's good. I think some of you said more than one, but that's all right. And of course, uh, her article was about fishing. The most baffling male activity was about fishing. And I'm just going to read a few things she had to say about that. She starts out saying, True story. I've gone fishing only once. It was in the Amazon, and I was trying to catch piranha. I didn't catch any, and I didn't get hooked on fishing. Maybe it's because I'm a woman. Sure, there are ladies who like to fish, but it's mostly men wading in rivers, leaning over bridges and boats, angling for the nibble that delivers. Why do dudes love fishing? That was her main question. And she, had, she speculated about a number of things. One of them was she thinks that men fish because it's some kind of primal urge, like they have this need 
uh, man versus nature kind of thing to go out there and like catch their dinner, even though she notes it's usually the women who have to debone and clean the dinner. Her second reason for men loving to fish is this. Men consider it a sport, and it's a very democratic sport because you don't have to be strong or tall or agile or have any particular skill. An avid fisherman just sits there, and that's the sport of it. And she actually quotes President Hoover, who was an avid fisherman, who knew. He said, all men are equal before fish. She thought that men like fishing because it's also a really good excuse not to do much. Now I'm quoting her on this one. Scientific studies have proven that women multitask better than men. So fishing is a great way for men to flex the strength at monotasking. (laughs) Standing with just a rod and a wish is something which men can really excel. Her next reason why she thinks fishing is so popular with men is because it provides meaningful bonding time. Because they take adventures with their fathers, their grandfathers, and their sons. Even if this adventure is, she describes it as, bologna sandwiches in a hot, humid, buggy bayou in a tiny boat with very little conversation. And that's bonding. JR is the most avid fisherman I know. Is this all true? <laughs> okay. I She does admit that most men probably don't analyze their love for fishing as carefully as she has done in this little essay, but she thinks it's a good metaphor for life because you when you fish, you try your best, you hope for the best, you have days when you catch something and days when you don't, but you're always thankful for the sound of the water, the sun in the sky, and the chance to reel one in. Is that it? Okay. Who in this room is a fisherman or a fisherwoman? Okay, we've got quite a few. JR, as I said, is the biggest fisherman I know, and he was in Canada a couple of weeks ago fishing with some family, your dad and your brother. So bonding, bonding time, male bonding time. And he talked about getting tired of it because he caught so many fish, which sounds a little bit like a fish story to me. If you, <laughs> Yeah, he said it was just reeling them in one after another. I've been fishing twice in my life. The last time I went fishing, I got sick of it after 10 minutes. And I was in a boat with three other guys for three hours after that. And I didn't catch anything, but I got really cold, and so I was miserable. Now, after reading this little essay, I'm, I'm kind of doubly guilt, doubly, double dose of guilt, because um, I'm a man and I don't like fishing. And Jesus has just said, go fish. I mean, if you paraphrase the passage we just read, basically saying, go fish. So I started wondering about this this week, and I thought maybe if I could look at this from a little different perspective, I might understand better what Jesus is saying to me. Maybe look at it through Jesus' eyes and see what he's really saying about discipleship. Is Jesus really saying, I have to go out there and fish? So that's what I want to do for the next few minutes. Now, the first part of this little call that he gives in Matthew chapter 4, I get completely. The first thing he says to the disciples is, follow me. And what he's talking about here is very typical of what somebody who would have been a master teacher or a master leader does, because we know that throughout all generations, people who are really good teachers or really good leaders, they have disciples. 
People come alongside of them and they spend time. They invest in learning their ways and discovering their truths and following them, trying to get really good at what their master is good at. Um, the song we just sang at, to do what the master does is what they want to do. And most who've had disciples have disciples who are kind of like the inner circle. They've got people who are really geeked out about wanting to become like their master. And so they actually are all in. They, they give all they have. They maybe even live with this person to become their inner circle. When we're looking at the disciples in Scripture, the 12, they were like Jesus' inner circle. They wanted to walk so closely with Jesus, to spend so much time with Him, that they lived with Him, they walked with Him, they learned from Him, and they became disciples. This, is, this starts on that day in the beach on, in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus says to them, hey, come follow me, and we're told immediately they drop their nets and they follow Him. Now, one of the images that really helps me understand the intensity kind of and the intimacy of this following is the image of discipleship as um, the dust from the Master's feet. I think the first guy I ever heard teach about this was a guy named Rob Bell, and he talked about following the master so closely that the dust that's kicked up from his sandals falls on the sandals of his disciples. And this is an image of how close you follow along with your master teacher, your master leader, to become like them. You just get immersed totally in who they are, and so their values fall on you, their truth falls on you, their lifestyle falls on you, everything they are falls on you, the dust from their feet falls on your feet. That's how closely you follow them. When the disciples get this call in Matthew chapter 4, come follow me, they start following Jesus that closely. The dust from Jesus' feet start to fall on them. His life starts to fall on them. They get shaped and molded to be more like Jesus. This is what happens in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was walking along the beach on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me. And they do. And Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, from that day forward, walk close enough with Jesus that the dust he kicks up falls on them. They become disciples. Now, they also become fishers of men. He walks up to them when he gives this invitation and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And I grew up in a day and age when the common translation for that was, I will make you fishers of men. And some of you maybe grew up with the same one. You even remember a song that goes like that, right? I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. This is what they become. And as I'm reading this, it seems like this is kind of a knee-jerk response from them. Uh, for both pairs of brothers, it says, they immediately drop everything and they go follow Jesus. And as I'm reading into this, I'm reading into this that they're kind of like, this may be the total strangers. They just met, their paths crossed for the first time, and they dropped everything. For years, I thought that that was the case. It's probably not the way it happened. They had probably interacted with Jesus. They had heard some things about Jesus. They've observed him maybe from a distance. Maybe they interacted with him when he was working with his father and came to repair the boats or repair the mast or maybe did some carpentry work in their home. They were not unfamiliar with Jesus. They've heard some things. This probably wasn't their first interaction with them. Certainly, it's not Jesus' first interaction with fishermen. We see that throughout Jesus' life, he was interacting. Uh, his early ministry took place in Bethsaida and Capernaum and Gesenaret. These are all like seaports. These are places that Fishing would have been part of the livelihood. Jesus is very aware of kind of what happens when you go fishing. 
a number of Jesus' stories have to do with fishing. His, one of his images for the kingdom of God is about fishing. He says the kingdom of God is like casting a great net into the water and pulling the net in, and the net is bursting with all kinds of life. This is a picture of the kingdom. Jesus is also often in a boat. He's in a boat with his disciples. He's sometimes teaching from a boat. He falls asleep in a boat. He calms storms in a boat. So Jesus is certainly familiar with fishing. He probably knew these guys. They knew him when Jesus makes the call. And so it makes sense when Jesus makes the call to these individuals that he calls them and says, hey, come, I will make you fish for people now. And I'm wondering, as I'm listening to that call, if that's the same call that I'm supposed to have. Am I supposed to become like a fisher for people, fisher of men? Or is Jesus saying something different? So I was reading this really carefully this week, and I came across this one line, and it jumped out at me different. Jesus says to them, I will make you fish for men. And he's talking to these guys on the beach. And it makes perfect sense that he would talk to them that way, because this is what they did. This was their occupation, their livelihood. They had gifts and passions for this, a calling for this. Jesus was just saying to them, follow me, and I'm going to change your focus now. Instead of your focusing on getting fish into the boat, catching your fish, I'm going to cause you to focus on people and reaching them for the sake of the kingdom. Now you all know I'm not a fisherman, so I'm wondering, does this metaphor work for me? Or would Jesus say something different to me? Jesus says, follow me, and instead of fishing for yourself, instead of fishing for your own livelihood to make ends meet, to put food on the table, instead of fishing for the sake of your own kingdom, fish for, fish for my kingdom. Go find men and women who need to be brought into the kingdom. So it's about this focus. It's about this uh, change in um, intention. Don't fish for yourself. Fish for the kingdom. And so, is this a universal call to everybody, or is it specific to that particular person? What if Jesus had run across a, a carpenter on the beach? Would Jesus say to that person, hey, go build people? That doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but I'm wondering if there's something about the refocus. Say, lay down your hammer and saw, stop building chairs and tables, stop building door frames, go build the kingdom, go reach people who need to know about God and build into them the truths of my kingdom. And don't do this for the benefit of your kingdom, for your livelihood. Do it for the sake of God's kingdom. Use your gifts to reach others, to bless them, whatever those gifts might be. So it got me wondering about different people that Jesus might have run into while he was standing there on the beach. What if Jesus had run into architects or accountants or nurses or truck drivers What if Jesus had run into teachers or writers or lawyers or politicians? What if Jesus had run into people like that? What invitation would he have used for them? Follow me and I will make you an architect for the kingdom. You'll be a person who goes out and designs things to make life better, to make the world a better place, to make it more useful for people to make it better for everyone, to serve them with the gifts that you have, to bring my kingdom into this world as an architect. Follow me and I will make you an accountant for the kingdom. Use your gifts in numbers to balance the books and bring fairness into this world, to bring God's kingdom, to bring peace, to bring reconciliation into 
the world to bring the kingdom into budgets and bottom lines. Follow me and I will make you a writer for the kingdom. So you're not off now writing for your own glory, for your own passion, for your own interest, but you're writing to bring truth and to bring beauty, to bring hope to people who need to have hope, that you're writing to bring a glimpse of the kingdom to people who are going to read your writing. Follow me and I will make you a teacher for the kingdom so that when you go, you're going to teach in a way that brings love and joy and peace and patience and kindness to students who need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, that you're going to go live for the kingdom. Follow me and I will make you a bringer of the kingdom in whatever gift or occupation or calling that you already have. God is saying, I'm going to use you to bring my kingdom right where you're at. You just have to refocus. Think about it as, I'm not living to serve myself. I'm not living to build my own kingdom, but I'm living for the sake of God's kingdom. I'm living to bring his truth and his beauty into the world. I'm wondering if Jesus is saying something like that. And this becomes kind of an important thing. Some of you are going, why is he belaboring this point? Good grief, get on with it. Um, Here's why I think why it matters to me, because I grew up in an environment in which there was one way for you to really be a serious disciple, and that was full-time Christian ministry. If you would go into the ministry, well, now you're serious about following Christ, now you can make a difference. If you'll be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary, this is where the payoff is at, so go out there and get this. If you happened to have to settle for being, you know, a plumber or a nurse or a lawyer or something like that, well, then maybe you could still redeem that by, in your spare time, go out and, you know, fish for people, give them the gospel and evangelize them. In the meantime, I know you've got to use some of your time to make ends meet. It seems to me that Jesus is offering a little different vision for how we live and how we follow as disciples, that he's calling us to refocus in whatever occupation, whatever calling, whatever vocation we have, can we use that not to serve us, but to serve the kingdom and recognize that God's kingdom is breaking in every place we go. So it's breaking into our homes and breaking into our school, breaking into our workplace, breaking into our neighborhoods, and God's going to use us with our unique gifts and passions and calling to bring his kingdom wherever we are. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you a bringer of the kingdom, a fisher of men, or whatever. This changes our thinking so that instead of thinking as a plumber, my most important job might be during break time, I share Christ with my coworker. My most important thing might be I got a leaky pipe to fix and I'm going to do that for the sake of the kingdom. I'm going to make this plumbing work for the sake of the kingdom. Does that change how we look at discipleship? Now, discipleship isn't just a part-time thing I do here and there. It's, it's my whole existence. Everything I do gets shaped by that. I'm wondering if that isn't maybe what Jesus meant when he was talking about, go, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I know there's a lot here in this little passage, and I think fishing is a fantastic metaphor for reaching people and for serving God. I just think there's maybe more here. The disciples actually do make a radical shift and a radical change in their life when they start following Jesus once the dust of his shoes begin to settle on them. They change their whole, the, the course of their life changes. They really did become more interested in people than in fish. And maybe this is for us also then to recognize that there's 
more to following Jesus than just an occasional fishing excursion for my lost friends. Maybe it has to do with everything that I do. Maybe it's about discovering who I am and how I'm gifted and where my passions lie. And maybe it's about recognizing the power of God to work through me and to work right where I'm at and to transform the world through me every day. Maybe it's a chance to rethink our picture of evangelism, this real men kind of mentality of I'm just going to try to hook somebody. Maybe it's more about recognizing that God's already working and his ways are amazing. Maybe it's an invitation to teach us to just refocus so that we recognize our calling makes a difference for the kingdom. Stop living for self and start living for the kingdom. It reminds me of a verse I love in Colossians, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, you know how this verse goes? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the kingdom. God knows us and God knows our gifts and abilities and God knows the world in which we live and God knows the good that everybody needs. God knows what's going on. Maybe God's asking us just to refocus and for me, refocusing is about paying attention. I just pay attention to the world in which I live, the places where God puts me. And when God puts me in these places, lo and behold, God's kingdom can show up there. Follow me and I will make you a designer or an accountant or a writer or a bricklayer or a CEO for the kingdom. So disciples follow close enough that the dust from the shoes of our master falls on us. And then they refocus, recognizing now that we're following, we no longer live for our own kingdoms, we live for his kingdom. And the consequence or the result of that is a feast. Now, if I've been out fishing, it makes sense for me maybe to think about feasting. I've caught a whole boatload of fish, and I'm going to have a fish fry or a fish boil. I'm going to invite all my friends and neighbors to come in and enjoy this feast. But Jesus is talking about a lot more than that. Look at the way this follows. Immediately after Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, look at what happens in the next verse. Immediately, they left the boat and their fathers, and they followed him. And Jesus went with them throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering pain, those who were demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them, and large crowds started to follow. The feast is about God's kingdom coming so that the sick are healed, the hungry are fed, The crippled can walk. Those who are oppressed are set free. The blind can see. The lame can dance. The deaf can sing. These are signs of the kingdom of God breaking in. And it's not just a kingdom up there. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we see that the things that Jesus did, he immediately passes on to his disciples and says, now you go do this. You go follow me in this way and do these things. So that the one who's plagued by an addiction is set free. The one who's grieving is comforted. The one who's dead is raised to life. The one walking in darkness has seen a great light. The one who is desperate in need of a friend gets a friend. The one who's desperately in need of justice gets justice. God comes near. God's kingdom comes. And the picture of this feast in Scripture is that this isn't just a little thing. This is 
the big thing. This is the consummation. This is what happens when God's kingdom comes fully. People from every tribe and every tongue and every nation come and they gather around a table and they feast. And it starts with disciples who follow and refocus. That's how it starts. And I got a picture of what this kingdom can look like. It can look like a world in which there is no more war, there's no more grief, there's no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's no more death, there's no more abuse. This is the kingdom that comes. Everybody needs the kingdom. You know that? People in your home need the kingdom. People in your neighborhood need the kingdom. People in your school need the kingdom. People in your workplace need the kingdom. Everyone needs the kingdom. And I think this is why Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Lord God, we come here today and we are people who are so thankful because you are a good, good father. And we thank you, God, for the way that you continually shower down your good gifts upon us. We feel blessed and we need to offer up our praise to you. You are the one who is worthy of all of our adoration and all of our praise because we know that, God, even our next breath would not be possible unless you provided it for us. And so we begin, God, by acknowledging you and recognizing who you are and praising you for who you are. And God, though you are in charge of running this whole world and keeping this whole universe intact, you still watch over each one of us with individual care and attention. And God, I'm so amazed at how carefully you walk with us and how closely you come to us. God, in good days and on bad days, we feel your presence. We know that you are here with us. God, I want to pray a special prayer for anyone here today who's feeling like they have a special need. There's people here who are hurting. They're physically in pain. They need a healing touch. God, there's individuals here who are suffering emotionally. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling left out, feeling abandoned or betrayed or hurt. God, there's people here in need of reconciliation who need to repair relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between friends. God, we know that there's people here who need to know that you are a good God who gives good gifts, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would come very close right now to each one who needs that. And God, the reason I know there's someone here who needs these things is because I need them. And so I pray that you'll come close to me. God, we're so grateful that you give us this place where we can gather together and find encouragement and find hope and find love in sharing in our walk together and learning to follow you together. I pray that you'll help us to grow even more deeply in our understanding of what it means for us to be disciples who follow you. And God, that we'll see even more and more signs of your kingdom coming. God, we want to take an opportunity, as we have many times in the last few days, to pray for our country. God, we thank you for this land in which we live, and we are blessed because we live here and yet we're often so concerned about the direction that our country is going. God, we pray for your hand to come upon those who are called to lead us. I pray for President Obama and for his cabinet, for those who are serving us in Congress and in Senate, and God, we pray for wisdom for them. God, we pray that our leaders, our political leaders, would learn not to pursue their own agendas, but that they'd learn to pursue an agenda that's good for our whole country. 
And we pray that you'll give us wisdom as we are called to make decisions about voting for these leaders. God, we want to pray for our own congregation, and I thank you for those who have been called to lead within our congregation. Thank you for good men and women, elders and deacons, and teachers and cell leaders and prayer warriors, servants who constantly give to lead our church and to serve within our congregation. We pray, God, that you will be with us as we look to our next year and our budget and uh, leaders that you're raising up to serve in the coming year, that you'll lead us to the right people and the right plan, that we would not follow our own agendas, we would not build our own kingdoms, but that we would continue, uh, continually build your kingdom. Help us to do that, God. Thank you again, God, for these good people, for their listening ears today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon each of us and continue to help us to grow as your disciples. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.